Hey, uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans, all right? Romans chapter 9. Hey, uh, I've got a couple of commercials for you before we get started, right? Um, and, uh, you know, we don't have commercial time now here at 1045 service, so uh, some every once in a while I have to stop and just tell you about a couple of things. Hey, but I do, tell you, I do want to tell you about, um, about something there in, your, in, your, um, in the bulletin that you received when you came in or the app. Okay, a couple of things I want to tell you about. Hey, um, number one is, is that, is that uh, choir kicks off this coming Wednesday. And some of you say, you know, well, you're not coming to this service. But if you can sing, I mean, the choir, we do, we do a lot. I mean, I know it's not in this service, but it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool way to, um, to serve if you have those gifts and abilities. Um, and because, you know, the, the Christmas musical and the, and the impact that that, that choir has, if some of you like to sing like that, okay? Now, if you can't sing, then don't, we don't really, really invite you to come. But if you can sing and would like to, okay? Again, God works in all kinds of different ways with all kinds of different styles and all kinds of, and, and, and the choir is something we do here that really does reach out to a pretty big segment of our community. So if you'd like to be a part of that, maybe if you, you could come obviously and, and sing in the choir, right, as, as serving time, but then be a part of this service. Now, it starts Wednesday for this semester. Uh, this coming Wednesday, August the 1st in the chapel. Okay, so this is the kickoff, right? They've had off a good many weeks during the summer. If you'd like to be a part and sing, I know we have a handful of you in here that do that. And so uh, so wanted to tell you about it, all right? I've been telling this for the last couple of weeks in the other services, and I just have never, because we don't take the time to share that. The other thing, when I have you take a look at your, at your bulletin, make sure, okay, I want you to understand that July is one of the, it's not one of the, it is the slowest month of our year, okay? Absolutely by far, right? But then August is one of the busiest months because everything re-kicks back off, everything starts happening. And it's like, so there's no way for me to cover everything that's about to happen right, in the next few weeks. But it's there in the bulletin, right? We've got it written out for you and different start times for all kinds of different things that are going on, you know, and everything gets back going. Student camp leaves uh, tomorrow. I'm going to head up and, uh, and I'll be a part of that with this part of this week. So, uh, so they, uh, they, leave, they leave tomorrow. So that's a pretty cool thing. So again, lots of stuff going on. Lots of stuff, always lots of stuff uh, going on. All right, good deal. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 9. Now, we have been in this series. Today is going to be an interesting day. Today's title is God's Perspective. And you know, when I, when I, have, when I have been sharing this, you know, a lot of times when people look at chapter 9 of Romans, they just leapfrog over it, right? And because they don't want to have to deal with it, because it's a difficult chapter. It's a, it's a hard one to understand. And and I'm never going to ever be on the page that just because I can't understand it doesn't mean it's tr not true, right? I'm just not going to be there because that's just sheer arrogance to think, well, if I can't understand it, it must not be true. So there's, a, there's an element to this that's not understandable, but I'm not going to skip it. I want you to hear it. I want you to see it, right? And I want you to understand that God's ways are a whole lot higher than ours. His understanding is a whole lot higher than ours, which makes sense, right? But I, again, this is this this chapter in Romans. We've been walking through Romans, you know, through the summer. And actually, I'm going to keep going. We're going to keep doing a lot of the book of Romans because as I've shared with you, a, a good knowledge of the book of Romans allows you to understand what it means to not only be a believer, how to become a believer, what it means to be a believer, and then the pictures of what that looks like. And so there's this great picture. I'm not going to do any other review in the book of Romans. Uh, I've had several, you know, ask questions and, <clears throat> and, and different things. And I really encourage you to listen if you can listen because Romans is meant to to be looked at as a whole. So this is your first time, right? You're coming in on, on you know, a lot of weeks that we've walked through the summer to get up to chapter nine. So, uh, so you'll see some things uh, as but, but remember, the book of Romans is written for you to understand salvation, right? And God's, God's work in salvation. First of all, what is, what is, who is Christ, right? Why did he come, right? Who is he and what did he come to do? <clears throat> And why did we need what he did? And so that's all discussed in Romans in the first eight chapters. 
But chapter nine is interesting. The first 10 chapters are about salvation. It makes it such an incredible, important work. But chapter nine is God's perspective, right? God's perspective in our salvation, his work. And remember that anytime we get in his perspective, there's gonna be some real ununderstandable things, if I can put it that way. It's just really, really hard to put these things. Chapter nine and chapter 10, okay, are located right next door to one another, right? And it's hard, but it's real hard to make them marry one another. You'll see what I'm talking about in just a minute. Right, and let me go ahead and tell you this, you're not gonna figure this one out, right? Uh, they've been battling over, over this for, you know, uh, believers have been battling over this for, for, for hundreds of years. And because there's, there's an element that's not understandable, but there's a, there's, a, there's a picture of chapter nine and chapter 10, and you'll see them located side by side. The reason is because there's something, there's something in the nature of the truth of both of them and something that you need to understand. Paul put chapter nine there on purpose right? And he put chapter 10 right next to it on purpose. Now, obviously the chapters weren't in the original. It was just written, you know, without verses and chapters, right? But it was, those were put there later so we could locate things quicker. So when you, when you look then at chapter, let's, let's see a little bit of, uh, of chapter eight and verse 29 and kind of get a good running start with where we finished last week. Now, remember chapter eight had to do with encouragement. You know, the first few chapters were about sin and then, uh, and then the illustration of Abraham in chapter four, and you go through the rest, and it begins, begins to talk about the word justify, right? And is it Christ, what Christ, who Christ is, what he came to do? Therefore, those who are not just are made just. Those who are not right are made right. That's what the word justify means. So to be justified is one who is not right, has been made right by another or some outside thought or force. And so that becomes this picture of what we've been talking about. Chapter eight is one of the great encouragements of who you are in him and, uh, and the security that you have in that. <clears throat> but at the end of chapter eight, it, it lists some things that are, that, are, that are hard things to swallow and I want us to talk about. Chapter eight, verse 29. This is what we talked about last week, just a little bit, and we're gonna finish up today. It says, for those whom he foreknew, Okay? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Foreknow means to know before, okay? I came up with that on my own, right? right? Therefore, to know beforehand. All right, to predestined is to destined beforehand, right? That is the word destined or destiny is someone's life in the way that they live, right? In the directions that they go. Therefore, to, it was planned beforehand is exactly what it means, you know? Now, let me go ahead and tell you about today. My desire for today is to let the book of Romans speak. Let it speak. Let it say what it says. Not try to dissect and try to say, well, it really is. No, no, no. What does it say? Because it's pretty, in fact, it's so straightforward. And it says pretty much the same thing over and over several times to make sure that you understand what he's talking about. But this is what, how we ended up last week in this particular. So those who foreknew, he also predestined, here we go, to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, if you wanna know what God's will for your life is, it's to be conformed to the image of his son. And eventually that's going to happen because of who he is and what he did at the cross. It's made you right in Christ. That's what we've been talking about. You are perfect in Christ because he is perfect. And what it means to be in Christ is something we've been talking about over the last weeks. And what it means when it says you've been baptized, not water baptism, but then immersed in him. You were united in his death, right? So therefore, when, therefore I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. So therefore he died, I died in this substitutionary effect. And therefore, he was buried and risen. It's the same concept, the same great picture. So you have then, you have then all of this put together, right? To be conformed to the likeness of his son, right? Or to the image of his son. That is his will for your life and eventually it will happen. In order that you might be the firstborn of men, many believers or brothers, right? So here's the incredible thought, right? Firstborn, 
Therefore, what happened to Christ's will and likewise follow. So again, those are quoted often, but most people try to avoid, right? Avoid the foreknowledge that he knew beforehand and the predestined, what do those things mean? And how do they fit? You know, are we, are we, just, are we just robots that are pre-programmed and are following a predetermined, you know? And that really goes against the sensibility of a lot of people. A lot of people will just really get all upset about that. In fact, some of you may be getting upset now, all right? All right? But if you leave, I'll know why you're leaving. <laughs> no, I, but I wanna talk about it because there's an area of this. You know, it's kinda like, it's kinda like somebody asked me, can you put the verse back up there? It's like when I get asked often, I ask, you know, Jeff, Jeff, do you believe in predestination? And I'm like, well, yeah, because it's what it teaches, right? Now, do I totally understand it? No. And I will tell you this, nobody does, right? Nobody does. How many PhDs or THDs you have in theology, this one's not an easy one to get. You just pick a side and I'll go to the other side and mess up your day. All right, it's an amazing thing, okay? But we'll get to that. I'm gonna go through a lot of this and just let it speak and then we'll talk a lot at the end, okay? So look at verse 30, it says, Don't, and uh, to, to those who he predestined, he also called, all right? Predestined means to set it beforehand. Call means to, if, you, if you're a believer here today, remember the day that you became a believer God began to work in your heart. There was something that was happening in here, right? And it was this, whatever you want to call it, it's different for everybody, but there was a definite picture in here that God was waking something up or you were seeing, seeing it like you never would. I mean, guys, I grew up in church, right? I knew all of the, I knew all of the stuff, okay? I knew all the stories, I, 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 you know, and I had it drilled into me since I was, since I was a kid. But I didn't get it till I was 21. And I know this sounds strange, but I was like, oh, Christ died for me. Oh, guys, I'd known that for years. But when I got it, I got it. It's a, I mean, anyway, therefore, predestined, it was beforehand. Call was his change in your life. Justify was when the change happened. So there's two steps before justify. Justify means that which is not right is made right. So the day of your salvation or whatever you want to call it, there are a couple of steps before that. Predestination, calling, justification, then glorification is the future, right? So you have then this picture. This is why I call this God's perspective. That is God's work in your life beforehand. If some of you know how I became a believer, you understand there was this girl in high school who used to share Christ with me, and I didn't, I thought she was a little strange, you know? And because, again, we were all Christians, right? Because, you know, you're from Tennessee, you're a Christian, right? Or either Jewish or you're a Christian. There's only two choices, right? And so, and so I, and it was several years later that I bumped back into this girl that God used who she had been in my life personally. I hadn't seen her in years and didn't even live in the same town as she did. And yet you begin to see God's handiwork in your life. That how would you ever come to know him if he didn't actively work? But the problem is, how, how, do, you, how do you make that understandable? Right? Especially for Americans, Right? where the reason I am where I am is because I worked hard or I studied hard or I wanted to find out or it's, again, this is what makes this an, an incredible chapter. Okay, so I've got to move on, all right? But I, I, I'm just gonna read most all of the verses. Now, this is a bigger picture. We're not taking a microscopic look at this, okay? But we are gonna talk about every verse in chapter nine. Right? We're going to read through them anyway. Just let them speak. Most of these verses, most of these verses are not hard to understand what they're saying, but they're hard to, okay, what does that look like? Right? Especially with the inventions of computers and other things. Are seriously, are we just, 
or we just pre-programmed to go in a certain direction. All right, well, you'll take a look at it, but then chapter 10 seems to say the exact opposite. That's why you put these two together. That's why if you only came today, you'll probably leave thinking, oh, that pastor is A, and then give me some title, right? I mean, seriously, but it, it, I've learned, to, I've, I've died to that, okay? If that's what you want to think, God bless you, and go on your merry way. But I would encourage you to be at both of these weeks, this week and next week, because they seem to contradict one another, and yet the scriptures say they're married. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility for his own actions are married, but golly, how are they married? How in the world can they cohabitate even, right? Doesn't sound like a good marriage to me, Jeff, all right? Irreconcilable differences. All right, so you're gonna see it, you're gonna see it. So I'm gonna present the first half of it today. Number one is God's faithfulness, right? God's faithfulness. So Jeff, what does this have to do with salvation? If you say the first 10 chapters are about salvation, what does this have to do with salvation? This is God's perspective. This is his work in your life, right? So number one is God's faithfulness. First of all, Paul starts out with this thought about Israel. Now, some of this, we're just going to read down through, just let it speak, let it say what it says, but it sets it up of why Paul is talking about what he's talking about. Remember, there's a prevailing thought, especially in the early church. There was a prevailing thought that you had to become Jewish first before you could become a believer in Christ, right? Therefore, because the descendants of Abraham uh, they, those, are the, those are the children of promise. And so you have to become Jewish before you become a believer. Obviously, Paul was saying, you guys are not getting it. And he, so he explains it here a little bit at the beginning, all right? But number one underneath this, God's faithfulness, is Paul's concern for Israel. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. Again, I've been telling you and talking to you about what it means to be in Christ all up to this time. And we don't have time to, to share with it all again. All right, but he says, I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. It's Paul talking, right? For I wish that I myself could be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brother, my kinsman according to the flesh. So he's basically saying, it is so bothering me so bothering me that Christ has come, the Messiah has come, is what he's saying, and that my fellow kinsmen, that is fellow Israelites, have rejected. Now remember the early days, early church, by, by far the greatest number of believers were Jewish, right? So it doesn't mean there weren't any, but the greater majority of them, especially among the religious leaders, they rejected Christ when he was here and after he was gone. Right? But he says, gosh, I, I so long for them to be believers in Christ. I, I'd almost, I would almost sacrifice myself. But he couldn't do that. Why? Because Christ had already sacrificed himself. Nothing Paul could do, right? But he's, again, he's got a heartbeat. He's got such a strong heartbeat for those who are his kinsmen. He goes on to talk about in verse 4, he says, they're Israelites. He says, to them belong the adoption Guys, adoption is an amazing thing. What does adoption mean? Well, God chose the nation of Israel to do all of these things through, right? And so the choice that comes, or election, that's what makes adoption such a cool thing. If you've been adopted, you know sometimes kids who have been adopted struggle a little bit because they were adopted, but I want you to remember this. If you've been adopted, it's a huge honor because you were chosen. Some of the other kids, you know, you got stuck with, they were born to you, right? But I want you to know, if you've been adopted, you were, listen to me, you were chosen. That's huge. And the scripture has great pictures of that. Israel was chosen, right? Elect is what the, is what the, is what the picture is here. So when you think about the, the metaphor of adoption in the scriptures of being God's child because you've been adopted, you've been grafted in, and all of the other incredible illustrations that go with that, that's where the whole thought of chosen and elect. So why does God tell us, and why, excuse me, why does Paul tell us about these things that we can't understand? Because there's something really important for you to understand. If you are in Christ today, if you are his, what incredible privilege that is. 
right? That's why you're told, because of the security that goes with it, right? So they belong to them, that is the Israelites, belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, right? The different covenants that were made, the giving of the law. So it was through this nation God chose to bring these things through. The worship, the promises, to them belong the patriarchs, that is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then all of the 12 tribes of Israel, that, that group. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, that is Jesus, who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. So in other words, God chose all of this to come through this nation. All right, so Paul's concerned for Israel, but number two, God's children are not, are not necessarily those that are not physical descendants. And this is what Paul talked about in chapter four. This is why the whole book of Romans goes together And if you truly want to understand it, you have to see it sequentially. And therefore, Abraham, these promises that were given to Abraham were given to him and and said that by your your descendants, the promises will pass down to, right? And so obviously you'll, you'll remember at the time of Jesus, some of the religious leaders would come to Jesus and say, well, you know, we're Abraham's descendants. And Basically, what they were meaning by that was is that we're a physical descendant of Abraham, so that means we're God's children because we were, we were born into that. And, and Paul tells you flat out that's not what it is. Well, let's read it. See, but it's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all those who have descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Not everybody who is, who, who, is, who is a physical descendant of Israel is actually belong to Israel. Not everybody who's a descendant of Abraham are actually his children. Because that's what's not, not what's being talked about. Look at this. It says, but through Isaac, your offspring will be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but it's the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. That is those says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And so we have this thought of that those that are truly God's children are the ones who have put their faith and trust in him. All right, and they have become his children, whatever you want to call it. It's, a, it's an amazing thought here. And then he goes on in verse nine to say, he gives you a little bit of the look, talking about Sarah. He goes on to say, and the promise, here's what the promise said about this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And obviously we know Isaac was born and it was such a great picture of Christ, right? We've talked about that in the last series we did, pictures of Christ in the Old Testament, right? And not only so, all right, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our father Isaac. So these promises went down. So therefore being God's child is not necessarily means that it's a physical descendant. Why? Because God has no grandchildren. He only has children. If you grew up in the church, if your parents were strong believers, that means nothing to you, right? Therefore, you know, well, you know, my dad was a whatever. Well, my mom, you know, she was real. So God has no grandchildren, only children, right? It's not about what parents may have done. It's about you, where you put your faith and trust. Amazing, right? So number three, God's children uh, are not by good works. Therefore, you're not, you're not one of God's children, if you will, or offspring, however you want to know in these promises that are mentioned, just because you know, you try to do good works. And guys, I, I don't know how people miss this today. I just don't know how they missed it because the Bible is so clear over and over and over and over again that one is right with God. One is God's child, not because they've, of their good works, right? Not because they've tried to live a good life, but because of who Christ is and what he did at the cross. That is what makes a person right with God, what Christ did at the cross. And it says it again here as about as clear as it can say it. So let's read it. It says, it goes on to talk about Isaac, you know, and it talks about Rebecca, his wife, having twin boys, right? Now, this is a pretty, pretty tough. This is where it begins. This is where it begins to kind of get hard to comprehend when your brain starts, 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 uh, starts putting this together. All right, let's take a look. Though they, when they were not born, so before they were ever born, who? The twins. All right, Jacob and Esau. 
before they were ever born, and before they'd ever, this is they'd done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, all right? Not because of works, but because of him who calls. Therefore, not because you've learned or you've tried to be a good person, right? She was told, who is she? Rebecca, you have twins, and that the older will serve the younger. So this was before they were born. So it's sharing straight here with you of this whole thought of election and what it means. And it, you know, sometimes somebody will say to me, well, you know, and I, I know you hear me say this often, but it really does drive me nuts. Oh, well, that's your interpretation. Well, how else do you interpret that one? Before the kids were born, is that what happened? That is what happened, right? The older will serve the younger. That's what happened. Look at verse 13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Right? Amazing. So has nothing to do with good works then. And this whole thought is tied up into it. All right, it's gonna get worse. All right, number two, <laughs> let's make it worse. All right, God's righteousness. Okay, God's righteousness. So look at chapter nine, verse 14. So what shall we say? So Paul starts asking questions that he knows people are going to have, and you're gonna have them right now. And he starts answering them. But I want you to understand they're, they're not very satisfying answers, All right? But there's a, there's a level here. There's a level here that's hard to comprehend, right? What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? So if God is setting this up, then isn't he responsible? See, there's a lot of places you can go here that totally go against what the rest of Scripture teaches, which shows me that chapter nine is God's perspective and how it works in his mind. And if I can even put it that way. So he said, what shall we say then? Is there, is there injustice on God's part? And he, goes, he says, by no means. That's the colloquialism, if you will, or whatever, that the King James says, God forbid. That's not a great, other than, basically it means, okay, that's ridiculous. Right? That's about as close as you can get as a translation. Right? Okay, that's absurd. That's ridiculous. So, so let's go on to see what he says. For he says to Moses, I'm going to have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I'm going to have compassion on whom I'm going to have compassion. Right? So there's a, a picture. This is God's perspective of choice, of election. It's, it's a tough one because your brain starts taking it towards, okay, now God, if you set all this up this way, then, then how, can this, how can this be? You know, guys, let me make it a little bit worse even. You know, it says over in Romans chapter three, verse 10, it says, for there is none righteous, not even one. And it goes on after that to say, there is none that seeks after God. Right? Okay. But there are other places in the scripture that says, seek the Lord and you'll find him, right? So there's a command to seek. And yet, if there's a command to seek, then you should be able to obey it, right? And scripture says there's none that seeks after God. Okay, so God has to do something in your life to allow you to even be able to seek. All right, okay, well, pastor, explain that. Guys, I can't. There's something that goes above my pay grade. There's something here because they're taught side by side. I mean, right next to one another. And, and you'll see it, especially when you combine what I'm talking to you about this week with next week, all right? So I'm gonna have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And look at verse 16. It says, so it depends not on human will or exertion, in other words, it's not about you from this perspective, for sure. 
It's not about you. It's not about human will. What does exertion mean? Obviously, uh, achievement, um, trying hard, right? Working hard, right? But on God who has mercy. Wow. For the scripture says about Pharaoh, right? For this very purpose, I raised you up, right? That I might show my power in you and that the name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And so then he has mercy on whoever he, he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Because if you remember, there's this picture in the, in the book of Exodus where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, right? Every time a plague went by. And so you have this, you have this, Paul sharing. So why is he sharing these things with us? Well, there's a couple of reasons to share these things with us. Number one is the whole Jewish Gentile thing for his time that was needed for them to understand that, hey, just because you're just Jewish by, by, by nationality, that doesn't necessarily mean you're God's child, right? So there was another reason he was sharing this whole thing. But the other one is, is when you understand, when you understand God's work in your life, we see it. And, and our country, especially our country, somehow wants to think that, you know, I'm independent, you know, and, and I've earned everything I have, and I, you know. And to find out that you're not near as much as can be a humbling thing. <clears throat> it's, it's, but the greater part of this is that being his is a privilege. Now, number three, God's justice. Now, this is where I want to, I want to start putting these things together and just help you understand what the passage is saying. All right? And then at the very end, just hang with me. We'll I'm going to get to a little bit of chapter 10 today just so you can see, gosh, how do you, how do you make those things work? And I'll share with you some of the things I've, that I have come with, all right? Again, not saying I have all the answers. I do not. But I think I've got some of the questions right, all right? And we'll get to that in a minute. All right, number one is underneath uh, God's justice is what I'm going to call God's providence. What does providence mean? Well, I almost substituted the word sovereignty here, right? Sovereignty. What does that mean? What does the word sovereign or providence mean? It means that God's, God's in control. This is another reason to understand the concept of chapter nine, because so many times, so many in our culture, because this truth is not taught, they live, but believers live in absolute fear I mean, fear is something that they're racked with daily because God's sovereignty is not taught today because we don't understand it. But the thought that you're in his hands, right? And then with Job and others, that nothing is going to happen to you that God doesn't allow. Well, why would God would allow this? Again, I don't know. This is what this part of this is about. How this happens, how God works can be a great mystery. We'll talk more about that next week, all right? So God's providence, sovereignty. Chapter nine now, verse 19. And so he, he asks another question, right? Then you will say to me, Paul knows what's going on in these people's minds, just like what's going on in our minds. He says, well, why can, how can God still find fault, right? For who can resist his will? So, so how does this work? So if God's already predetermined it, then, then why are we still accountable? Because accountability is only there when a person has choice. Does that make sense? And here comes the crux of the issue. It'll cause you to lose sleep at night if these things are important to you, right? It's this whole thought of how do you marry these, how do you marry God being sovereign and us being responsible? Because like, let, me, let me make it a little bit worse for you, all right? So sin exists in the world. So if God predestined everything, did he predestine sin? Well, of course not. The scriptures are clear to say that God is not tempted by it. Sin, nor has he ever tempted anyone. 
So you can't say that God, sin came in the world by God's will, it's just not the truth. So then how does this work? I don't know, all I know how to do is make it worse. Because I've been beating these things up for years. I've been beating them up for years. I have read just about as much as you can read and you're not gonna get there, right? Just tell me whichever ever place you like to go hibernate, right? Whichever extreme, right? Because whenever you go to either extreme, you get off base, right? And you start, you start believing things that are just natural conclusions that the rest of scripture goes totally against. So how does that work? I, I don't know. All right, I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But that's what Paul, that's the question Paul's asking. He says, so you're gonna say to me now, I know, is that then how can God still find fault? Right, because who can resist what he's planned or pre-planned even, All right? And so he gives an answer in verse 20. And let me go ahead and tell you, the answer's not gonna satisfy you, all right? Basically the answer is, who are you? Who are you to even think that, right? He goes on to say, but who are you, right? Oh man, to answer back to God. It's kind of the same thought that happened to Job. Remember, in, uh, if, you, if you know the book of Job, it's a, it's a powerful book to read, but, but Job's life absolutely fell apart, right? Calamity after calamity after calamity. And Job begins saying to himself, you know, how can God be just and allow all these things to happen to me, right? And in the end, that's what Job, that's what God said to Job, right? God said, you know, Job, where were you when I created everything? In other words, I got a lot bigger picture here, Job, than you do. There's a lot more going on to this. There's a lot more understanding that you can't even understand now. This is the same picture, right? Oh man, who are you gonna be to answer God back, right? You know, I remember I had a seminary professor, it's classic. I may have told some of you this. I had a seminary professor one time. He was, uh, he was a brilliant man. He was from Mississippi and he had, he had all these, you know, if you are from Mississippi or, or no Mississippi, um, then you understand the colloquialisms that go, uh, they ought to be their own nation in Mississippi, right? And so, but he was from Mississippi and so brilliant guy. And so, and he was teaching and every once in a while, it's so funny when you're in school, especially in seminary, uh, it really does get a little bit old because there's always someone in the class, sometimes more than one, that constantly asks questions that, that they, I think they like to hear themselves talk, you know? And this was how he always combated that. You know, somebody asked a, a, a ridiculous question and this is what he'd always say, right? He'd say, oh, bless your little pointed head. I guess that was a Mississippi thing. I never heard anyone else say that, all right? Except, anyway, basically what that meant was, oh, God bless you, you just don't know what you're talking about. That's kind of what, now who are you, right? Who are you to even ask, all right? This is what he's saying. Well, well what is molded? Say to its molder, why have, you, why have you made me this way? Well, has the potter not right over the clay? right? To do what he wants to do with it. Make one vessel for honorable use, another for dishonorable. It's a hard one. It's a hard one to think, but we see it played out in history. I think I look at the early church, you know, Peter stood up and shared his faith and 3,000 people came to know Christ. Stephen stood up and shared his faith and was stoned to death. How do you figure that one out? I'm promising you'll go crazy, do it. But I don't know what happened in those early days, but God used it to, to make an impact on the entire world as these believers were so strong in their faith. They had such a testimony to the world, not through so much their life, but through their death. I don't know how those things work. And guys, you'll run yourself ragged, but the great thing is, I have learned now that I don't have to understand something to believe it. I just don't. In fact, there's gonna be a whole lot I don't understand because his ways are a lot higher than mine. You know, the old joke is, you know, 
I'm not, I don't really understand how electricity works, but I'm not going to sit in the dark until I do. I'm going to walk over to the wall and I'm going to flip it. I don't know how it happened, but I'm glad it worked, right? I, I don't get some of these things, right? Number two is God's purposes. We've got to go a little faster. What if God, desiring to show his wrath, right, and to make known his power, has endured with much patience? So there's this picture that God knew it was going to happen, and he endured and gave every chance that could be given. But how do we weigh those things out? And that even phrase is interesting. Right? Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order that he might make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. Right? So as an example to those vessels of mercy. Right? Which is, which is prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called. Right? Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Right? Not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So his whole reason for sharing this is to share with the people, hey guys, this is not about your nationality. It's about God's work in your life. It's, I don't know, it's amazing. Number three is just saying, well, God's already said this. And so, in fact, he just gives you Old Testament quotes that share with you about these things. Because from this mindset, you begin to say, well, you know, Paul, are you... Where are you coming up with this? How do you know this? Whatever, whatever, whatever. Obviously, God's working through Paul and in those things, but he goes back to the Old Testament scripture. He just starts quoting. Chapter 9, verse 25, he says, Indeed, it says in Hosea, all right, those who were not my people I have called my people. So now he's talking about the Gentiles, that there's a time coming where it's not going to be just a Jewish thing, there's going to be both. And those, and now we'll, those that will call my people and her who is not beloved, I will call my beloved. It's a great story, Hosea. Hosea had a wife um, who was extremely unfaithful and, and she kept falling into different lovers and different lovers and, and it became, wound up being a great example, that which is, and he wound up buying her back at the end. It's an incredible story. So there's a lot more to it than what's quoted here, but to know the whole story is pretty interesting. When you said, those who are not my people, I'm gonna call them my people, right? Verse 26, and in the very place where it is said them, you are not my people, they will be called the sons of the living God. So he's saying, hey, listen, the Old Testament's been saying this is coming for a long time. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, right? Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them are going to be saved. Understand that the early days, most of the early believers were Jewish, but by and large, greater numbers of them rejected. Why? Because the Jewish leaders rejected right? Who Christ is and what he came to do. He says, for the Lord will carry out his sentence, kept on the earth fully and without delay. Look at this. And Isaiah predicted, okay? If the Lord of hosts had not stepped in, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So God was always at work. No matter how far away from God they got, there was always a remnant that were his, right? All right, I've got to close this up. All right, number four is God's grace. All right, just, I've just, I've made it, I've kind of made it a promise to myself. I just want, I just want Romans to speak, All right? But God's grace is the picture here. In chapter nine, verse 30, and he goes on, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to it. That is a righteousness that's by faith. What's he talking about? It's being right with God. What is it that makes a person right with God? Right? There's only one thing that makes a person right with God, and that's what Christ did at the cross that's made you right in Christ. And yet the majority of the people in our world, maybe the majority of the people in the room, would say that what makes a person right with God is living a good life. I want you to know that the Bible does not teach that. It never has. Never has. That's just a human invention, right? That those who live the best lives are the ones that are truly his. It's just not the truth, right? It's not what Scripture teaches anyway. And this is what he's saying here. He says, but that Israel who pursued a law 
that would lead to righteousness did not succeed at it. So what did they teach? They taught, hey, listen, the way to be right with God is to live by all the rules. And the Pharisees lived as hourly, as good a life as you could live, following all of the religious laws and all the religious rules. And yet that's not what made them right with God. So why, why couldn't they? It says they did not succeed. Look at verse 31. They did not succeed. And in verse 32, he says, why didn't they succeed? Because they didn't pursue it by faith. It was based on their good works. That is their performance. So they failed. Listen, that's what makes grace grace. Is that there's only one thing that makes a person right with God, and that's what Christ did at the cross. That is the beauty of what it means to be his. It's a powerful thing. They stumbled over the stumbling block. Says, bowl, I'm laying in Zion, a stone of stumbling, a rock, rock of offense. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now I've got to move on and I'm, I'm gonna, I need to close. But it says, brothers, my heart desire for prayer for God is for them that they would be saved. In other words, Paul says, I'm not gonna give up praying for them, right? But here's where I want to close. And I'm gonna give you just a little taste, a little snapshot of next week. Because when you take a look at Romans how does a person become a believer in Christ? Well, a lot of times people just go through the book of Romans, you know, 3.10, 3.23, for all of sin, right? 5.8, God committed his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? Uh, 6.23, the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life, right? And then they always go to Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. It says, it goes on to verse 9, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him to the dead, you'll be saved, right? right? For with the heart one believes and is justified. That is, that which isn't right, it's made right. And with the mouth one's confessed and is saved. For the scripture says, listen to this, everyone, anyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jews and Gentiles or Greeks. For the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing riches unto all who call on his name. Look at verse 13, for everyone. Everyone's real close to all. Yeah, yeah, I'm smart like that. That means everybody in the room. That is everybody who's hearing me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Salvation is available to you. So Jeff, how do you make that walk? We'll talk more about this next week. I just wanted to give you a little bit before you walked out the door and you labeled me, right? Right? I will always share, right? That anytime anyone responds in faith to God's message to you, the gospel message, you will be saved. Well, what if I'm not elect? I, I don't even know how that works. I don't even know how it works. I just know that scripture says is that this invitation is for all, all. I don't know all those things. But see, what happens is you try to put yourself in God's perspective and you're not ever gonna understand that. But this is your perspective. Do you see who you are and the sinfulness you have? Do you understand who Christ is and what he came to do? And are you really, or do you wanna put your faith and trust in him, therefore his righteousness for you? And he died in your place. If you can understand those things and that's where you put your faith and trust and understand, that's what the scripture teaches. That's our perspective. Okay, I'm going to pick this up next week. But last night, it was classic. Last night, we had our night service, right? And I was sharing this, and I went in there, and, uh, and one of our pastors here, Philip, Pastor Philip Herberts, he, uh, he does our men's ministry. And, uh, and so he was with me last night, um, and, you know, offertory prayer, closing in prayer, helping out, whatever. And so we'd finished, he'd come back to the guest reception. If you don't know what that is, as soon as the service is over, there's a guest reception right out there. Right, and I'll be in there, and we, last night we had cookies, right? I think they have scones or something in there, if you want, if you want them, all right? If you're a guest, all right? The rest of you guys are on your own. But if you're a guest, we'd love for you to come in there. Well, they had, the cookies just happened to be awesome last night, all right? And no, I didn't have one, all right? But, they're, but sometimes they're a little overcooked, so they're crunchy and hard. But y'all know the ones that are a little undercooked? I'm going somewhere with this, by the way. You know, the ones that are, that are a little undercooked and like, oh yeah, some ice cream, this would be awesome. But that's the way they were last night. And so, and so Philip came in, right? And, and he, he ate a cookie, 
right? He, he, he had a cookie, you know? And, um, and then when he, he finished, he said, you know, God knew I was going to eat that cookie. In fact, God may have even predestined I was going to eat that cookie. But I also chose to eat it. And if I eat too many, I'll, I'll have to pay the consequences. Guys, that's as close as I know. The cookie story. That's as close as I know how to explain it to you. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But there is part I do understand. Chapter 10. Chapter 9's there to share with you, encourage you just how secure you are in his hands. Why? Because he's sovereign, right? He's in charge. And you don't have to be scared, okay, of world annihilation by some crackpot with a finger on a button, right? Why? Because we're in his hands. So there's an element that sometimes we don't talk about and it leaves believers in fear. That's why I'm doing chapter nine. Most just leapfrog over it. Are there ununderstandable things? Of course there are. But when you take a look at God and who he is and his eternal nature, sometimes people ask me the question, you know, Jeff, how old is God? I said, the question is flawed because he created time and is not governed by it. See, he, he lives in a, an existence where time doesn't exist. And you and I have no frame of reference to that. So then when you, when you have eternal life, right? For God so loved the world, right? Will not perish, but have eternal life. It doesn't mean that it's going to be 10,000 times 10,000 years. No, no, no. It's going to be an existence where time doesn't pass. No past, no future. It's now, like when God's name is I am present tense. Well, Jeff, explain that. I can't. I've never been there and I have no frame of reference to even know what that's about. To me, that's where I've come up with chapter nine. We're looking from God's perspective and you and I are going to have a hard time understanding it. All right. So anyway, stay tuned. All right. As I used to say as a kid, same bat time and same bat channel. All right next week, and we will, uh, we will give you the other half of this picture. If there's never been a time in your life you put your faith and trust in Christ, if you know God's at work in here, as it says they're calling, obviously there'd be some people down here afterwards that would love to talk with.